Hey there, Hellspawn. It's another edition of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. This time I've uh, lured Jeremiah Jones Goldstein to the crypt. And he and I are going to talk about a fantastic story from the House of Secrets. So definitely dig in and get ready for a good time. Because he and I are going to really, really dive deep into this one. And you guys are going to love it, so stay tuned. Monsters do have their place in the zoo, in your nightmares, in the deep, in your favorite horror movies, but not in your living room, on your TV. Don't let pay TV be the monster in your living room. Pay TV and cable TV companies are seeking the right to charge you for the very programs you now get free. If you want to stop pay TV and save free television, sign the petition in the lobby of this theater. Let your lawmakers know how you feel in the fight against pay TV and cable TV. Welcome to the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. I'm your host, Billy D, and I've got a Returning guest host, sort of in a roundabout way. Uh, obviously, this show's pretty new, but uh, this uh, guest and I have recorded before for, uh, you know, Magazines and Monsters, my main show. And we did a, a crazy DC comic. And what do you know? We're doing another wild DC comic here. Uh, everybody, put your hands together. Returning, Jeremiah Jones Goldstein. How are you, buddy? I'm well, Billy. How are you tonight? I'm fantastic, man. So when I wanted to start this new horror show, I knew right out of the gate I wanted to get Marvel's big three Bronze Age, you know, uh, characters out of the way. You know, uh, Tomb of Drac and Monster of Frankenstein, A Werewolf by Night. But I also had, you know, in the back of my brain cooking, I want to talk about a ton of DC's anthology output from the Bronze Age as well. Because I've always had, you know, over the last 10, 15 years, I started buying heavily into DC and especially in the Bronze Age. And I grabbed horror whenever I can find it. But then I thought to myself, they had such a huge output in the 70s, even into the 60s. There's no way I'm going to be able to collect even a full run of any of these you know, major titles. Well, lucky for me, uh, DC came out with Omnibus Editions. So I was able to get House of Mystery Volume 1 and 2, House of Secrets Volume 1 and 2. On the cheap, I would say. I think they're at least $100 or $125, $150, whatever they are. You know, I got it for way less than that, and I could not say no to it. So I'm just, you know... Uh, being uh, just over like overhyped and just excited out the wazoo to dive into these and talk uh, about these. And uh, you were like, oh, hey, what about this issue? So uh, what was, uh, you know, your inroads to DC's horror stuff? Were you just, you know, grabbing at cons and shows and shops like that? Yeah, exactly. I really enjoy anthology books, whether it's DC's, whether it's Marvel's, Charlton. And I'm particularly fond of the science fiction stuff um, and the horror. So House of Secrets, House of Mystery. And, you know, there are some nice collections out there. I haven't invested in those. But when I do see them in the bins, if I can, you know, if it's cheap or whatever, then I do do try and grab it, especially the, the two House of books. Those are probably my two favorite of the DCs. But I, I came to it late in life. It wasn't something I read as a kid. Um it was just mostly once I started dipping my toe back into that, the old DC that I started grabbing them. 
Yeah, I used to grab them at, you know, shows and shops if I saw them on the cheap. And then, you know, just a few short years ago, you could even find some decent books and lots here and there on eBay on the cheap, too. But, man, the, the back issue market has, you know, gone berserk. So it's it's getting tougher and tougher to find these. And that's when I just finally gave up and thought, you know what? I asked Santa Claus last year. I sent him my list and said, Santa, can you <laughs> please buy me some omnibus editions? And he came through this year. <laughs> nice. There's a shop not too far from where I live um, that has usually a bin or two of coverless books for a quarter. Mm. And the last time I was in there, it wasn't all just kids books. It's mostly usually it's like Richie Rich and Little Lulu and things like that. But the mm -hmm. last time I was there, there was, I don't know, eight or nine House of Mysteries, a couple of House of Secrets. Nice. Um, so I, I, I grabbed a pile of them because I just like reading them for, mm -hmm. you know, three bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, it, that's crazy good. It, it's fun. Yeah, they're, again, they're, they had some super, you know, high level uh, talent on some of these, you know, uh, you know, the Jerry Conways and, uh, Bernie Wrightson and stuff like that. Now they weren't, mm -hmm. you know, every issue, every story or whatever, but they had those guys. And then they had what I would consider like kind of the next, you know, grouping down too with guys like Alfredo Alcala and Nick Cardi. So when you got these, you know, some of them have two stories, three stories, four stories, you were almost guaranteed when you picked one of them up that at least one, if not two of those stories, were going to have a really solid creative team behind them. And then sometimes the other two, the creative teams were, you know, more newcomers to the business, you know, some Filipino artists that were just coming over and doing work and stuff like that. But it's you really get your money's worth out of these comics. I, at least I feel that way. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, if you, on the rare chance you can actually pick up some of the the hundred page dollar issues, mm. um, you know, you there's four or five stories in those and you, you you're going to have at least one or two good ones no matter what. Um, first, I mean, I, I've enjoyed most of what I read in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're good stuff. I don't have too many of those because usually if you can find them in even halfway decent shape, they're usually a pretty penny, those hundred pagers and, you know, like 80 page giants and stuff like that with some of the superhero comics too. Those, those get a little pricey, but I do have some of them and they're pretty beat up, but they're complete. And that's all I want in a comic. If I'm looking for a single issue, I don't care if it's low grade, if it's complete, uh, I'm buying it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. All right, so we are going to be talking about House of Secrets, you know, 150, which, you know, a little anniversary uh, issue here, and it's uh, from uh, cover date February, March 1978. I think the on-sale date was uh, November 1977, but this is one of those rare books where it's one story. You know, there's, there's not uh, multiple stories in this book. There's one story in this book, and it's a good one. But how about we talk about the cover first? So cover artist on this one is Mr. Jim Starlin. So, again, what I was just saying about those big names, we get one right here on the cover. Yeah, and it's, it's an excellent cover. The, the thing that stands out for me is actually the background where mm -hmm. you have this demonic face in the clouds with these two piercing eyes that are behind the, the action scene in the foreground. But the, it's just those eyes staring at you. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's the, you know, the foreground picture with the, uh, the two, uh, the rabbi and the priest and this possessed dude. And, you know, you've got the action with the, the background. It looks like things are destroyed behind them. 
Um, but those eyes, they just they grab you right away. Yeah, this covers something else. Like you said, the you when you first look at it, you don't your eye doesn't really know where to go because like you said, those you know, three characters are in the forefront like fighting, but those yellow eyes really is what grabs your attention of this like, you know, demonic beast. It's almost like in like a, a smoke or something behind all this going on. So yeah, really good cover and there's not a lot of uh you know exposition on the cover either. It really sells you know, itself with the artwork here. It just says there's no escape from the House of Secrets. And then down the very bottom, it says featuring a special 150th issue anniversary thriller. And that's it. It's just artwork. And that's, uh, I love it. I mean, we, okay, we do get Jim Starlin's signature down there, but <laughs> that's it. Yeah, no, there's no dialogue or anything like that, which is, I guess, maybe unusual for a book of this this era. But um, no, it's composed well. It's got the the orange background. The two, the the priest and the rabbi in the dark blues with their capes, the the villain in in green. So it really kind of pops. It it really stands off that orange page, um, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, it's 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 a great illustration. Yeah, the colorist. I mean, I don't know. That might have been Starlin too, because he did color some of his own work over the years. They was really good job here with the colors because it's you know it's a good combination to really set everything off. Mm-hmm. So. All right, let's move into the interior here. So we get A God by Any Other Name, and it's uh, script Jerry Conway, pencils and inks Jerry Tallock, and colors by Jerry Serpy. And then uh, I'm just going to read a quick little synopsis here uh, from uh, Grand Comics Database, and then uh, you and I can dive right in. How does that sound? Sounds good. All right, so at the House of Secrets, the Phantom Stranger tells Abel how exorcists Father John Christian and Rabbi Samuel Shulman used to exercise possessed machines. Dr. 13 arrives and blames such stories on mass hysteria. But when machines all over the world run amok due to a demonic computer, it is up to the stranger to stop it. So, okay, that sort of gets us on our path that we need to to be on here. But that's a very, uh, you know, vague, very, you know, uh, abstract uh, uh, telling of what happens in this comic here. So why don't we uh, start out on the first page here? So I do love uh, how we have Abel here and... (laughs) He's uh, got a, a cake there, and he's you know going to have a little party by himself, and <laughs> the Phantom Stranger comes busting in. I love it. <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. The Phantom Stranger showing up in that last panel with chubby little uh, Abel walking along. What's funny about this is that's it's part of the story in this case. Mm-hmm. Abel's not here introducing the story you know lifting the pulling the curtain away and saying now join us for our our thriller or whatever this sequence with the stranger as we'll see later on is part of the actual story which is i maybe it's not different for house of secrets most I've, i've read mostly house of mystery it's definitely different from that anthology standpoint where he's part of the story instead of just introducing it Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely not the norm with these anthology titles. Usually there was the host and they would have like a one pager where, you know, they tell you what was going to happen here in the story, you know, vaguely and, you know, basically just a setup page. Sometimes it was even a different artist. I know there are some that, you know, it shows that page House of Mystery, House of Secrets, and it's, you know, Bernie Wrightson uh, doing that splash page with the host, you know, Kane or Abel and, 
I think there's some Michael Golden as well, some really cool stuff. And then it'll switch to, you know, the next page will be the actual first page of the actual story that they just kind of set up with the, you know, the new uh, artist and writer team there taking over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we have, uh, you know, Phantom Stranger, he goes over to (laughs) Abel's bookshelf here and grabs a diary off of his shelf. And uh, he starts telling us a, a little story here. And it's this crazy page here, the the very first actual story page here where it says a god by any other name. Wow, <laughs> this is a crazy looking page. We have uh, the Phantom Stranger kind of set in the background. And then in the forefront, uh, you see a, a guy and there's all these like little demonic type preachers all around him. And then in the background, we see some people and. You know, one of them definitely looks like uh, our buddy, I think, the rabbi. And, you know, they're, these people are looking around like, what is going on here with this guy falling all over the place? Yeah, and, and I mean, the Star of David's got, like, lightning bolts coming off it. And, mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 the guy in the picture, his elbows and knees, and they're pointing all the wrong directions. And you can mm-hmm. tell that he's... Um, He's not writhing in pain, but, you know, something isn't right. And then Mm -hmm. you've got these weird-looking red demons that are, like, swirling around him in mist. (laughs) It's it's really pretty striking, especially with that big star, David, um, blowing up with the the lightning bolts behind him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then this is where we get, you know, the the little more setup here from uh, the Phantom Stranger reading this diary, and he says about, you know, that there was... uh, Back in uh, the years of 1891 to 1894 in London, England, he says, a certain father, John Christian, it was he and his friend, Rabbi Samuel Shulman, who first uncovered the menace which threatens us all, a threat which could mean the very end of man. And of course, at the onset here, it kind of seems like, you know, it's just going to be your regular garden variety, like demon possession kind of story. You know, Marvel was doing some of these in their black and white magazines as well. Um, I can't remember that character's name off the top of my head, but they had a character that was in a magazine. I don't know if it was Monsters Unleashed or which one it was, but they had a, a an exorcist type character guy that was, you know, fighting Satan and demons and stuff like that. It seems like that's what you're going to get here, but uh, slowly but surely we realize there's there's something a little bit different about this story, right? Yeah, it starts to turn into sort of like a an, an action story with this priest and the, the rabbi. And these possessed people that they're trying to, um, you know, save. But it mm-hmm. it's very, I don't know, it's not ghouls and ghosts. It's like, you know, the next page, the the all the parishioners are ripping apart the church. And mm-hmm. these 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 two hero priests and rabbis, they're like sort of like the Indiana Jones of the clergy <laughs> kind of thing, with the way they tackle these problems that they're facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like they basically say there's like, you know, a witch's coven and it's it's weird because, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't think to see something like that in the actual church itself. But like you said, you do. They're like tearing the crap out of everything, smashing stuff, going crazy. And these two guys try to stop them and they kind of get a little overpowered there for a minute. But then, uh, you know, the possessed people leave and then, uh, you know, they're kind of on the hunt for them. Or, you know, more importantly, this coven or whoever is, you know, the the leader of this coven. So, you know, we see them head down to like, uh, I'm trying to think of what they call it. They call it the, uh, 
I, I think the guy might actually call it the slums or something like that. But mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, just a very, very poor neighborhood, you know, in London here where, you know, there's people living in poverty and you see some rats here on the, the fifth page. <laughs> they're, they're walking down the street. And there's two huge rats next to a bunch of like trash. It's uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty rough. And it and it's here that you get your first mm-hmm. indication of kind of where this story is ultimately going to go when he says, you know, they're talking about how hard these people lives these their lives are, and he says, "Do you know why, Samuel? It's because of the factories." So, mm-hmm. in these couple panels, they allude to the fact that these poor people working all day long in these factories are just having their souls crushed by mm-hmm. the machine. And that's what leads them to be able to be possessed as easily as they are, is what they're sort of alluding to. But mm-hmm. it, it's, it's interesting that you get a, I don't know, polit- a sociopolitic comment right up front in this horror story. Yeah, this is where it really took a swerve for me. Like I said, I was just expecting, you know, your demonic possession, you know, witch's coven type thing. Like you said, as they're walking down the street, that guy says right out, it's because of the factories. And he says, crowding people together to serve their vast machines, packing them in so-called flats, smaller than a coffin. 16 hours a day, they work these laborers for the machines. It destroys their lives, their homes. Why not their souls? So, you know, it's just, it, it's it's kind of like you said, it's like, Kind of making a, a good point here and going down the road. You didn't think it was going to, but I guess initially they came down to that area because a woman had called them for help saying her husband was going berserk. And well, sure enough, they go into the house and she's like, please, it's Robert. Help. He's mad. And they go inside this you know, woman's home. And again, we have, you know, a guy going berserk with a chair, smashing stuff. And again, also, you know, we see these two little demons almost like, I don't know if they're like, you know, coercing him or just there to show us that like, you know, Hey, this is what's really going on here. This, that's why this guy's behaving this way that he's, you know, like, uh, under the sway of these demons possessed, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And to me, this was almost like, well, is, is this what happened on the cover of the issue? Cause it's the same kind of thing. Guy's mm-hmm. got the chair in his hand and there's the little demons around him. And you got the, the, the priest and the rabbi here. Um, but yeah, it's hard to tell that, you know, is he possessed? Are they driving them mad? Are they antagonizing them? It, it's it, it's all done very subtly. Well, mm-hmm. as subtle as a, you know, picture book can be, I guess. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's it's just interesting because they don't come out flat out and say any what any one thing is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the priest is like, hey, let me get my cross out here and I'm going to try to do an exorcism on this guy. And the guy just charges him and starts trying to choke him. But <laughs> the rabbi, he has like, you know, of course, I'm thinking to myself, oh, he's throwing something at him. Oh, it must be holy water, but it's <laughs> red. So I was like, what is this maniac throwing at this guy? I couldn't think, like, what in the world was he throwing at this guy? But uh, in the next page, he tells us what it was when the, the priest is like, what was that you used on Robert, Samuel? <laughs> and what does he say? <laughs> Lamb's blood going back to the the old testament and the plagues with abraham but yeah lamb's blood yeah it's like whoa gross <laughs> so yep. he he it drives the guy away and of course they're trying to figure out you know what's going on here and 
he actually uses a little like a brush or something to put some over the door, you know, of the apartment to kind of try to keep the, you know, the, the saintness away. And, you know, there they go. They're like, oh, there he is running down the street and they chase after him. And it's interesting. They go into this, uh, you know, factory and it pretty much is as, you know, the priest and rabbi were saying earlier that there's not just there's something going on here, just not, you know, your normal oh possession thing like you almost see like a machine and like there's this stuff flowing out of it that almost looks like blood or something. I don't even know how to describe it, but there's a panel where like, you know, almost like a machine tries to kill the the priest and the rabbi. Yeah. It, at first I thought, well, is that lava? What's going on here? But it's probably some kind of molten ore. But yeah, it does imply that the machine is. Uh, sentient or you know it's being controlled um, mm-hmm. but yeah it it is you you're very you're kept on your toes with how things keep changing you know one mm-hmm. panel there's a demon now there's this machine and you know the the guy shows up at the end um, and it almost looks like he's casting a spell in mm-hmm. that next panel before mm-hmm. they um, stop him with their with the cross and the, or the crucifix, but it's, it's all very, it, it keeps you, keeps you on the edge of your seat in a sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is, it's almost like two stories in one here because, you know, we, like you said, we get to what looks like to be an ending here of this story that, you know, this phantom stranger is actually reading out of a diary. And, you know, you see, like you said, this guy gesturing like a, and it says he's like a sorcerer, they say in the book. And, uh, electricity through the air and toward me and the, the priest puts the crucifix up and it kind of returns the blast back at him and it says it burns him alive and it says you know he's dead so you see him hanging there as if he got caught on something when he like fell off the catwalk that he was on but you know yeah. we're gonna see something a little bit different happens here and you know we do see the the priest and the rabbi sitting down and talking and you know they think there's more going on here and you know there's a you know, these people are obviously more like victims, you know, it's not like, you know, they're doing evil things, but it's not really because they're evil people. So that's an interesting, uh, you know, conversation between the two of them. It is. And that feels like the perfect ending for story number one of the book. You know, there was this mm-hmm. weird conflict that these two priests resolved. The, unfortunately, the, the, the guy died, but, you know, it, it's a nice wrap up. So there you go, the end of the first story in House of Secrets, but it's not. It, you know, like you said, it was mm-hmm. just a diary entry, and then we're right back with Phantom Stranger talking to Abel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's sitting there eating his cake, yeah. <laughs> like he could, like he couldn't care less about this. And the Phantom Stranger is just like, hey man, you know, these guys were talking about this, you know, almost a hundred years ago. You know, quite a long time ago, 90, 80, 80 years ago or whatever, maybe at this point, 80 some years ago, he's like, but, you know, I, this is still going on. And the Phantom Stranger says, uh, uh, fortunately for him, he's saying about uh, the father Christian, he goes, if he were, he might have realized the full extent of this new devil's potential knowledge that would have driven him to an early grave. And then all of a sudden, nonsense. And here comes Dr. 13. <laughs> I love it when he comes in here and tries to, you know, tell a phantom stranger he's full of it. Yep. Yeah, because it says it's the corniest gag yet. 
superstitious drivel, machines acting like devils. And <laughs> Phantom Stranger's like, uh, he introduces uh, Dr. Terrence 13 to Abel, and Abel kind of turns around, like, kind of shocked, like, who is this nut? And <laughs> he goes, uh, Dr. 13 says, I received a mysterious summons to this godforsaken place, stranger. I want to know why. And Phantom Stranger says, because your assistance is necessary, Terrence. We face a crisis of extraordinary complexity. And then I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading this story, and I'm thinking, is the House of Mystery and House of Secrets, or at, at this point, 1977, 1978, I always thought they were more like on a different realm. And, you know, they're telling these horror stories and mystery stories. I didn't think they were just like really a house sitting somewhere that just some regular schmoo like Dr. 13 could just get a cab and go there. And, you know, I, I can't say one way or the other, because in my mind, it's the same thing that the House of Mystery and House of Secrets were only these literal places that Abel and Cain and the witch or whoever um, mm -hmm. introduced the stories from. I, I don't know when they became, you know, physical locations in the DC universe, but the, it certainly is in this case. Yeah, I feel like there was a Batman story at some point. I don't know if it was in one of the titles or Brave and the Bold or something like that, maybe, where did he end up there? But I don't know when that issue may have come out, because like I said, this is like basically late 77 when this was on the stands. And I know there's a Superman story, too, I think, in House of Mystery. But that's I think that might be early 80s, because that went on for a little bit longer than uh, House of uh, Secrets did. So I'm not sure either, but that's wild. I need to like look that up and try to figure that out, because it, it just kind of struck me as odd. I'm thinking, wait a minute, for the Phantom Stranger to be there, that's not a big deal, because he can travel to other worlds and dimensions and things like that. But Dr. 13 is just like a regular guy. What's he doing there? Just kind of made me chuckle for a minute. I'm like, what? And, and that's what's so funny about this issue with, you know, it it being one a a complete story, it it does take place in the House of Secrets. Uh, I this is probably the oldest issue I've read at this point that is it's actually like this, where it, it is a a location and these people are there, not as part of the story. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure I, I'm sure it was established before this. I mean, this is on issue 150, but. It's got to be early on. I mean, they certainly didn't do it a lot that I'm aware of. No, pretty much everything I have with DC Horror in the 70s, it's at least two stories in the issues. It was not, not that I can recall off the top of my head. Was there just one story in the entire issue? But this this might be the, the only one I've read up until this point. But yeah, we get the and, Phantom Stranger. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, even in... The DC Comics presents with Superman and the House of Mystery. Mm -hmm. Even in that, it still um, travels between different planes and things like that, different realities. So, oh, I mean, okay, it, it, it is like we're thinking about it. Um, that it's a you know, it's not a fixed place in you know the Chicago suburbs or something like that. So, it's, I don't know. It's it's all very interesting. Yeah, for sure. And then we get our buddy, the Phantom Stranger, and he kind of says to Abel and Dr. 13 that, you know, this this is still going on and it's getting worse and it's been getting worse for the past couple of weeks. And we we get a panel on uh, page 10 of the comic where it shows a bunch of people just going absolutely berserk automobiles like all over the place, flying and going crazy. And he says, 
uh, office fights to murderous attacks by car drivers on pedestrians. In every case, those afflicted seem possessed. And that's a really wild panel there where it has the cars and the people going crazy. It is because they're all, all the people are like charging at the reader. You have cars in upside down and like bl- not blowing up, but like hitting each other. It's like a demolition derby. There's a <laughs> semi truck, a semi trailer truck. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he, he, he goes on to say, but it's, it, um, they seem possessed, but not by a bestial demon. So, I mean, we're right back to this possession story where it's not, you know, it's not a demon. It's not the devil necessarily. There's still something, um, uh, I don't know, ethereal about it, but they're also really amping up this physicality of these people just being crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he also says uh, it's not by a bestial demon, rather by some mechanized force that caused each man to act like a thousand others similarly stricken performing the same act over and over with machine-like precision. So, again, there we get that whole, like, you know, like some kind of machinery involved in this. And Dr. 13 says, and this is your terrible menace? It's a simple case of mass psychosis, stranger. And Abel says, I don't think so, Dr. 13. I've had a little experience with the supernatural. And he says, rubbish. (laughs) I do like uh, how all of a sudden the three of them are sitting there talking about this. And the phone rings. So again, this is what I'm thinking to myself. Now, <laughs> the House of Secrets is not only like, you know, somewhere that Dr. 13 can access. It has a working telephone that just anybody can call from like their apartment. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's yeah, Dr. Wild. 13's wife looking for him. She's checking up. Yeah. On him. She, needs, she needs his help. Yeah. I'm thinking, not only did he find this house, it has a working phone. And she knows the phone number to this house. I'm like, it was it in the yellow pages or something. Like, how did she know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we see their apartment is going berserk. There's, you know, like I'm trying to think. Of, it says uh, everything is regulated in this apartment. Air conditioning, cooking, heating, lights, plumbing, the full range of human existence. And it says including panic. And this apartment's going crazy. Kind of like, you know, like a Ghostbusters almost, you know, it's like. <laughs> something's going nuts and she's calling there and she's like, you know, Hey, you need to get back here. The apartment's going crazy. I need help. And of course, you know, on page 11 there in the bottom panel, <laughs> Abel's there and he's biting his fingernails. Cause he's scared. Cause he's like a Frady cat and Dr. 13, his face is just like, what's going on. And he's like, Oh my God, I have to reach her. I have to get there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, poof, the phantom stranger pulls like a Batman and he's gone. Yeah. And, this was probably the weirdest thing of the book. So the Phantom Stranger brought Terrence 13 to House of Secrets. They get this emergency call, and then he leaves to go see 13's wife because she's in trouble. But he leaves 13 there. <laughs> that that was the, this is the one kind of flaw in the story. It's like, well, why did he leave him? Why didn't he bring him with him? Yeah, especially to be like, to kind of show him that these things really exist or try to at least make him come up with, you know, a really good excuse to say it wasn't what it seemed to be. You know what I mean? Because he likes to debunk these things. (laughs) But yeah, so he shows up, Phantom Stranger shows up and he, you know, rescues her and, you know, zaps, uh, he like sticks his hand out and gestures and 
crack on all the stuff in the apartment go back to you know normal and the way they were and everything looks all nice and neat and tidied up but um then you know he starts asking her questions about this apartment building and she said uh terrence found out about this place he read about it in scientific american and they call it the american <laughs> dream apartment a triumph of computer technology and all i could think of the whole time i was reading this part was that one old cartoon i don't know if it's an mgm or what cartoon it is where it's like the house of tomorrow and it's you know, showing all uh, these things is you see that one? Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 supposed to be like like the Jetsons or whatever, right? You push mm-hmm. a button and there's dinner. You push a button and the you know the laundry's done. You the the <laughs> pants are pressed. It it it's that idea, which is, I mean, you know, in in seventy seven, <clears throat> the idea of the mod of modern living was microwaves and self cleaning ovens and things like that. So this is. This is right in time with the, you know, right in um, with the times. It fits perfectly as, mm-hmm. you know, this is what people who could afford it would desire. Yeah, and then she mentions to him that, you know, this was all invented by a man named Robert Corman. Uh, is, and if, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that's the same name as the guy at the beginning there that fought the priest and the rabbi and looked like he supposedly died. So that's kind of wild. At that point, I'm thinking, uh-oh, so something really crazy is going to happen. Yeah, and this is where the two stories come together, because it was Corman. That's the callback mm-hmm. to the to the, uh, the the story with the, the priest and the rabbi there. And then we, mm-hmm. you know, you turn the page, and he's, obviously, he's not all together, but there's a demon in the computer with the, that's the, the, the demon from the first part of the story. So this mm-hmm. is where they they come together, but this is even more of, you know, it's it's the ghost in the machine, that's the problem. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. it's not that the devils come up from hell and possess some dude. It's this machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Phantom Stranger says, you know, when did all this start to happen? When was this computer activated? And she's like, oh, about three weeks ago. And he's like, that's when the same day all this mass insanity began. And he's like, where is it? Where is this computer? And she's like, oh, it's in the basement of this building. Blah, blah, blah. Stranger. And she turns around and he, he disappeared again. And he goes downstairs to the basement. And like you said, we see this crazy scene where there's a guy sitting at this you know, console. He looks like Dr. Doom here with all these computers and everything all around him. And that crazy face on this you know, computer screen that kind of like the face on the, the front cover a bit. You know, I think it's supposed to be the same thing there where it's this all red and these yellow piercing eyes and the 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 demon or Satan or whatever it's supposed to be says you have done well disciple you and your ancestors have pleased me <laughs> so that's a pretty creepy scene yeah it's all very creepy especially when you get to the the guy that you says that for the past eighty five years I've labored to bring forth a creature in your image blah 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 um the, you know what this this whole thing kind of reminded me of a little bit is do you remember that movie uh, Lawnmower Man Oh yeah, where, mm-hmm. where the the guy kind of loses it, and they do a lot of magic computer stuff, and then he he ends up in the internet, and he can control everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this the picture of the guy looking at this super computer with the big monitor. That's all I could think of was well. I wonder if this is you know did Stephen King read this comic and uh, <laughs> twenty years later wrote a short story about it. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking the the person that uh, wrote the script for what was it, Superman three, when that computer went crazy. Yep. 
But yeah, on page 14 there, you have a, you know, in the bottom right-hand corner, the guy looks completely nuts. And in the, uh, in the omnibus edition here, he has two different color eyes. One's blue and one's like purple. So I don't know if that's supposed to be the, the computer screen with that's red on that side of his face or what's going on. I didn't know it would change the color of your eyes, but there's a, that's an interesting panel right there. It is. And his, the way his, his eyebrows are drawn, they're very spiked up. His hair's all kind of, it's not disheveled, but he's, he's very menacing looking and it, almost mm-hmm. to the point where his ears are almost pointy. Um, in that panel, it's yeah. He's he's supposed to, I believe, he's supposed to look like a man possessed. Yeah, he almost looks like he has fangs too. And the the computer yeah. says, uh, "A man more like a machine than a mortal." And by influencing your parents and your grandparents, I have achieved that goal embodied in you, Robert Corman, the perfect technological man. And he says, "I exist but to serve you, Master. You created me, and I have created you." And then, and now I must destroy you both and Phantom Strangers there. So it's on here. So what did you think of this uh, uh, ending scene here? So we basically have, you know, the Phantom Stranger going one-on-one with this guy. And I kind of was a little, I wouldn't say I was let down by it, but it it did seem to, uh, you know, go rather quickly here. You know, it's basically only two pages of, you know, a fight. And it really isn't that great of a fight, but I I do like what happens at the end. Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing that... It wraps up quick because they were obviously the the uh, Conway was trying to get across the point of you know where technology could could lead us you know if if it mm-hmm. were in the wrong hands kind of thing and you know we don't want to be slaves to the machine et cetera et cetera so the it's it's like the the fight and the resolution is almost secondary to the story. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, it does wrap up quick. The, the Phantom Stranger uses his, you know, whiz bang boom magical powers and, you know, saves the day. But again, it begs the question: Why isn't Terrence Thirteen here um, to see that it is a computer that's the problem, and so he can rub his nose in it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that would have been nice. <laughs> but yeah, the guy basically just charges at the Phantom Stranger and he moves out of the way, and the guy falls on his head. So then he yep. picks up a big pipe wrench and comes flying at Phantom Stranger with that. Like he's going to hit him with it. And he just moves out of the way and he ends up smashing some of the equipment and the computer and stuff. And there's just this huge explosion. And that is a really nice panel there where it's just boom. And you can see the guy's outline as if he's getting blown to smithereens here. And the Phantom Stranger is there holding up his, you know, cape in front of him. So he doesn't get a, you know, fire in his face or whatever. And then smoke all over. I really like that panel. Yeah, it, it, it's excellent. It's a nice wrap to this um, brief fight scene. <laughs> yeah, and then we get back to the House of Secrets, and on the very last page here, and I like that too. That's a really cool picture there, you know, a panel there which just shows the House of Secrets, and it says, uh, even assuming I believe what you say, stranger, there's still a scientific explanation. And this is Dr. 13 speaking here. He said, probably something along the lines of CB interference on commercial radios. You've heard of people who pick up hi-fi music on newly filled teeth. It must be something like that. People were simply thrown temporarily off balance by the computer's electromagnetic field. (laughs) So that's how he explains it. (laughs) Oh, man, too funny. And then (laughs) Phantom Stranger retorts with a sensible theory, Terrence 13. But how does your theory account for this? And he says, computer circuitry? He, you know, throws it to him and he goes, in the form of a pentagram, the ancient sorcery symbol. What is this, stranger, a hoax? Who put a pentagram into a computer? 
And he's like, stranger? And he turns around, and again, he just took off without saying goodbye here, and we get left with a, a, a candlelit dinner with Dr. 13, his wife, and Abel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a, it's a, I don't know, it, it's a goofy little ending, you know, because the thing mm-hmm. doesn't even look like computer circuitry. It's a, it's, it looks like a box in the shape of a pentagram. Um, mm-hmm. But you get the classic, you know, Dr. 13 um, wild theory that you know, because he doesn't believe in ghosts and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's a it's a nice cap to what's actually a really pretty good story. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Jerry Conway here. I don't know is he prescient or what with his his story here about you know technology taking over and you know technology yeah. kind of ruling people and stuff. It was like I read this and I was just like, holy crap! That was you know like. I'm thinking to myself in my head, counting 77, 87, 97, 000. that's like 40 some years ago. He wrote this story. I'm just like, uh, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I think that was, that was probably a concern of, a, you know, a lot of people as technology was really starting to advance in science in society and become, um, more prevalent. And, you know, the, this was the era of, machines trying to do every little thing to make our lives easier and things like that. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a story that's well grounded in reality for 77, but even it, it even works today. I mean, the whole idea that people are oppressed by their, you know, their jobs and and technology and it's, uh, it's this story definitely stands the test. It stands the test of time in terms of uh, relevance, I guess, you know, if you want to mm-hmm. say that, cause you, you could easily write this story today and just, you know, put, make it cell phones instead of CB radio <laughs> waves. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I got to reading this and I was just like, wow, like he's, he's literally right on the money for then and for right now. And even more so for now, I felt it was like, wow. And again, I'm just as guilty as the next person. I'm, I look at my phone way too much, you know, I, yeah. I wouldn't say it like, you know, rules my life or is going to make me do anything, you know, insane. But the point still stands that, you know, you, you could be doing things, you know, more productive. You could be doing things, you know, to help other people. You could be doing things with your family. But instead, you know, you're sitting in front of a computer screen or you're, you know, have your phone attached to your hand and in front of your face how many hours a day or minutes a day or whatever. So I thought, man, he this is the type of story that. I feel if he wrote it now would win some kind of an award. You know what I mean? I kind of feel that about it, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I, he could, you could definitely put it in that, that modern fair and it would be, you know, it would be the, the an internet sensation for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Well, any final thoughts on this one here? How about any, uh, you know, favorite uh, panels or pages here too? What about that? Well, I, I really did like that the panel with the explosion that you pointed out. Um, mm. <clears throat> I do like I, I I like the Phantom Stranger quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I, I like his his entrance at the very beginning with men call me the Phantom Stranger. And it's it's not a splash page panel and his names and his normal logo or something like that. But it's just mm-hmm. a nice little entrance where, you know, Cable was carrying that cake and all of a sudden it's there's the Phantom Stranger with his hat over his over his eyes and everything in his blue cloak. But even the the title page um, where 
um, Phantom Stranger starts reading from that book, and you have that that dude who's just bent and contorted all over the place um, with those demons around them and everything. It's the art in this book, and it, Jerry Tallock, if that's how you say it. I mean, I'm sure I've seen him in these books, but it's not a name I know. But the mm-hmm. art was excellent, well detailed, yeah. but everything is is clear. There's a lot of color in the book. You know, the, the, the priests are all in blue and then there's a lot of reds and it's just, it's a well done story. Um, there's not a lot of heavy inking, hiding things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. but like those scenes and every time you get those big red images where something action packed is happening is it, it stands out. It's, it's, it's a memorable, um, story and then and the fact that it's a it's one story in this in through the whole thing is is pretty cool as much as i like an anthology where you have one or two and maybe a you know a one page gag or something it's nice to have a complete story that's this and this well done yeah i feel like this was a good change of pace for the book considering you know like we said it probably you know it was almost all anthology you know multiple stories in there but yeah jerry talek i know him from these books these you know anthology books um i think he did some war stuff too and then i know i'm pretty sure he did some marvel work too i feel like he did some work on the incredible hulk i mean i don't know if that was as just as an inker or where that was at but i i'm pretty sure he may have done some inking on the hulk like consecutive you know, certain consecutive issues. Cause that's, those are the things that are jumping out to me. I, I definitely know the war and the horror with DC and I'm almost positive. He did some work, um, you know, on the incredible Hulk at some point, like maybe, you know, mid eighties or something like that. I'm, I'm trying to look it up quick here just to see, cause I know I can't be like, I, I know I have some, some issues of that. I don't have a ton of Hulk, but I know I have some from that era and I feel like he's done. Oh yeah. 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 So yeah, he definitely did some work on the Hulk in like the two nineties around uh, issue 300. Yep. Yeah, now, he, he did. He is Filipino, correct? I believe so. Yeah. I believe he's one of the guys that, you know, came over and yeah, he inked uh Sal Buscema on those, that era of Hulk. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So this, and it was at this time that both companies were because they, their output was growing significantly. They mm-hmm. they hired quite a few Filipino artists, as far as I know. Um, yeah, and and artists that were, you know, coming in from outside of New York City, um, and the and the suburbs or whatever. So it's, um, mm-hmm. a, a fresh face, maybe. Yeah, I know. I think I think I read at some point as well that I know there was some talk in the seventies. Uh, some of the creators were. Um, talking about trying to unionize Mm -hmm. and that was and that was something that they were like okay well we're gonna get these other guys in here because they're you know they'll do the work without having to you know you know they basically they knew they could get these guys probably to do it cheaper and you know not worry about medical benefits or anything like that because they were getting them out of a you know they're going to present a better situation to them by coming to the states here to do work anyway yeah yeah so So, right there there is that side of it for sure Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know for a little bit that was part of it that I think they were panicking a little that, you know, some of the people were going to uh, were going to unionize and they were going to try to, you know, 
they were going to probably get pay they deserved <laughs> and medical yeah. benefits and things like that they should have been getting. And, you know, the big companies, they're only looking at it from the dollar signs. So they were thinking, oh, no, this is going to cost us all this money. Let's just hire a bunch of other guys. And I think that was part of the reason there was a, a, a bit of a search for uh, work, especially outside the U.S. Yeah, definitely. One of the uh, so I have the the floppy copy of mm-hmm. this book, and there's some great ads in it. But one of the things that's pretty neat is the DC subscription ad is a picture of Superman with a mailbag, and he's <laughs> holding this issue out oh, to wow. the reader. So that that's kind of neat. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's you know that's one knock on uh, trades. You know, you don't get the ads. That's one thing that yeah. kind of stinks. And I understand if it's like, you know, a company that's still in business or something like that. But I'm thinking if it's just a house ad or it's a company that's not in business anymore, why can't you put it in there? It's not like you're going to have to deal with, you know, rights or this or that. You know what I mean? I don't understand that. Well, they, they do it in the facsimile editions. So in theory, there would be nothing to stop them in the trades other than, you know, they not breaking up the the story, right? Yeah, and I'm assuming too. You know, think about it. It's just it would just cost more to do that too because of paper and printing oh, sure. and ink and all that stuff and color. Yeah. So I guess they're thinking, hey, let's just put these out with minimal expense. And but I will say this: these uh, omnibus editions that I got, I, again, I got those four horror omnibus editions. I bought. I'm sorry, <clears throat> Santa Claus bought uh, <laughs> those four. <laughs> uh, Swamp Thing Bronze Age that has. You know, House of Secrets 92 all the way up to the Alan Moore run. And then yeah. I also got volume two and volume three of the omnibus editions of The Brave and the Bold as well. And they are really well made. You know, some yeah. of them are eight, nine hundred pages. They're really well made. Everything, the spine in them is great. The the production value, everything about them is really, really nice. I will say that. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, worth worth the money if you can find them. Like I said, I, I think I grabbed a bunch of them off eBay and I think a couple from Amazon because uh, they still had them, you know, a couple of years after they were printed. And if they still have them for a while, sometimes they'll discount them a little heavier. And that's where mm-hmm. I got them from, because I thought, oh, for that price, you know, and like I said, the way the back issue market is now, it's not like you can grab these issues for 50 cents or even a dollar, to be honest. They're they're usually yeah. way more than that, even in bad, bad conditions. So I thought. Screw it. I'm diving in head first. So now I have like, you know, seven or eight omnibus editions laying around. And I will say this too. You were saying about Phantom Stranger. I think I'm pretty sure I saw on Amazon they solicited for an Phantom Stranger omnibus edition and it's coming out in November. They they did and I actually uh pre ordered that uh through my through uh, DCBS. Nice. Did, did they? Because, see, I look at everything on Amazon, and sometimes Amazon, when you pre-order, will discount, but sometimes they don't. And they also did a pre-order, I think you and I talked about this, for a Volume 3 for House of Mystery, but they didn't yep. discount it at all. They have it at 150 bucks. I thought, I'm not paying 150 bucks. I don't care. <laughs> There's no way I'm paying that. <laughs> yeah, and that, that could be because maybe because things have been announced canceled delayed and resolicited so maybe once it gets closer it'll get discounted I, it's hard to say because they've they've announced and canceled so many trades yeah. and omnibuses in the last year because of printing problems and paper shortages um yeah it was only i think in this last it was either this month or last month that they resolicited 
the DC Who's Who Volume 2. It was originally solicited back in December or January, and then, I don't know, a month later, I got a cancellation notice, and it just—it was just resolicited recently. So that, that could be some of it. It, it. You know, you don't know if it's actually going to happen at this point until it gets closer. So Yeah, I know, because I started getting... Uh some of the uh mar I'm, I'm starting to order some of the marvel masterworks because uh, one of the things i want to collect you know start to finish is tomb of dracula and the oh, single yeah. issues yeah the single issues of those are crazy expensive even in the 20s 30s and 40s you know if you have a decent copy that people want you know eight or ten bucks for one issue and it's just like I- i'm not paying that so yep. they you know last year in october they had volume one come out and I think it's, you know, a $75 cover price and it's got issues like one through 10, 11. It has some of the black and white magazine material in it and then some other extras. And like I said, $75 cover price. I didn't pre-order it, but when it came out, literally, I feel like within maybe a month, they had discounted it already. And I think you can get a discounted copy even on Amazon for like 50 some bucks right now. Oh, really? Yeah, you can still get volume one, and then they did uh, put a solicit out. I think it's coming out in September. Uh, they're starting to collect Werewolf by Night as well, and I'm I'm going to pre-order that because I think it's going to sell out because I think, aren't they having a Disney Plus series or something with Werewolf by Night in it? Could be. I'm not 100% on caught up on what the future of the MCU is at this point. Yeah. I think I heard that, so I thought, oh boy, you know, it, it seems like anytime they, you know, announce something's going to have a show or a movie or whatever, it just, the prices skyrocket, so if that does sell out, you know what'll happen, the second-hand market, it'll be double the price, so yeah, I think I think that world by nine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order, and like I said, when I saw that Phantom Stranger one, I thought, oh man, I think if it gets closer to the time when that's going to come out, if they drop the price a little bit on that one, I think I might be pre-ordering that one as well because I think it has like pretty much every silver and bronze age appearance. You know, I, I probably only have a third of the material in single issues. So I thought, well, yeah. I could sell my singles and, you know, put some money towards that. Yeah. Excellent. I, I, I do want to brag a little bit here. I, mm-hmm. a few years ago, I started collecting Tomb of Dracula. Mm-hmm. I'm down to only needing four single issues. Wow. And, that includes number one and number 10, which are mm. out of yeah, my the price range. But I do have the facsimile of number 10. Yeah. And the facsimile of number one is coming out soon. And mm. so uh, I would I would have those, and then I would only need two more. And I'd I'll yeah. have a full run of Tomb of Dracula, which I, I'm pretty pleased about that. That's It's been oh, yeah, a fun awesome. one to put together. Yeah, that's a great title, man. I think it's the best horror comic of the Bronze Age, and maybe the best of all time. And it's definitely my favorite of all time. And yeah, I think I have that facsimile as well of number 10 um, or Marvel milestone edition or whatever it's called, something like that. Mm -hmm. I think I have that with that one and two other uh, stories in it. But yeah, man. Yeah. That's, that's the only way to get some of these books anymore. And I don't mind that either. You know what I mean? Just because the price is so absurd. It's just crazy. (laughs) So, okay, my friend, well, all right, so let's wrap up here. So anything, uh, what do you have going on here? Where can people find you? And uh, why don't you uh, definitely mention your blog? So I, I do have the blog. It's comicscomicscomics.blog. Um, I, we just did a, an SBU, 
SBTU recently. Um, what what was the topic that we covered? Jeez, I'm drawing a complete blank. Um, but so I do have the blog, and you can find oh, me on image. Twitter. Yeah, that's right. The image anniversary. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. And you can find me on Twitter at at Big Ox seven thirty seven. Yeah, it was a what is it forty fortieth anniversary of Image thirtieth thirtieth anniversary yeah thirtieth yeah. anniversary of Image so yeah ninety two to twenty twenty two so yeah yeah that was fun everybody had some good ideas with that one and that's the good thing about Superblog Team Up everybody kind of has their own you know uh, look at things and their own view of things and their own little niche what they you know the blogs and the different podcasts and stuff so that's cool that's a really good thing so everybody can look forward to that too and then uh, definitely uh, hit up the blog. Uh, comics 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 dot blog so uh once again thank you my friend i appreciate you being on and we're gonna have to crank out some more of these uh, anthologies uh we'll have to get our heads together and see what you have and what i have and we can uh figure out some more of these to do because like i said oh, i'm really you know chomping at the bit to do more and more of these anthologies i really like them quite a bit excellent yeah I, i'd love to thank you for having me on again um as always it was a really good time i appreciate it awesome well I'll be back in just a minute after a quick promo. Do you remember your first comic book? Do you remember the first time you held a cover in your hand and you flipped the pages? You read the adventures of these amazing heroes and you really fell in love with the medium. The first time you bonded a character to a team, to a company, and you knew, yep, I'm in this for life. Well, so do we. So join us on the never-ending reading pile from the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network where we proudly don our nostalgia goggles we dive into our favorite comics, our favorite eras, our favorite characters, our favorite creators, and we just bask in the glory that is being a comic book collector. Come join us and help us chip away at the never-ending reading pile. Okay, all you mummies, that's going to wrap up this episode. Once again, I want to thank Jeremiah for being on the show. And... Get ready, because you are going to hear a lot of the DC Anthology uh, stories uh, with he and I. We're going to do a deep dive on a lot of them. Uh, sometimes just, you know, one story per book or an entire book full of anthology stories. So uh, get ready for that, especially come Halloween time here. So thanks for tuning in and look forward to getting another episode out ASAP. ASAP.